Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. Pastor Dustin is here with Steve Prudian, and uh, today is our 20th episode. Happy 20th episode, Steve. Well, thank you, Dustin, for allowing us to be able to have 20 episodes. <laughs> it is a pleasure. And uh, today has kind of a... I don't know if you want to call it a special 20th episode thing, but we are going to be talking about... Steve, why don't you introduce it? You're, you've got a little bit more eloquence in how to put this. So what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about really two things, Dustin. We're talking about, first of all, what is our faith? all about okay and there's a scripture in the bible that talks about that faith without works is dead i'm familiar with that one so how many of us are actually in a dead faith that's a pretty serious question because we don't have anything to show that we are practicing our faith right and we'll go into what practicing our faith looks like. The other thing is, is which we talked about last week, is, is, is that there's something wrong with your growth if you don't produce spiritual fruit. Right. Invariably, if we follow the conclusion of Jesus Christ, you are a very poor imitation if it if a believer at all because Correct. if you really believed there is no excuse because the holy spirit at least gives you one gift but you have to use that gift to produce a fruit yes the other thing that we're going to look at is we're going to look at the mystery behind the therefore of Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Oftentimes people will read scripture and they won't find the clue. However, in this particular passage, Paul has a marker. And that marker starts with the word, therefore. And so we'll have to go into the scriptures to be able to explain that. What this really all goes about is, is this. Do you come to church as a dead man? Do you leave church the same way? It's a good question. So why do you come to church if you're not seeking new life? It's a good question. I would think most people are going to answer that uh, they come to church to be fed. And I'm going to go ahead and say that's a valid reason to come to church. Because we have to take in before we can give out, right? We have to, um, just give an example. I saw a video on 
social media last week. Um, a guy was talking about um, where are you at in your walk today? Where are you at in your walk this week? And he used himself as an example. And he was hanging up a shelf or doing something. He had a hammer and a nail. And he swings the hammer, he misses the nail, and smashes his thumb. Breaks it even. And a whole stream of cuss words come out of his mouth. And he goes and gets everything fixed up. And so now he's all bandaged up and whatever. And a few days go by and he's uh, reflecting on this moment when all these cuss words come out of his mouth. And so he spends, he, he starts being intentional about getting into his Bible in the morning and having, um, having his quiet time and having prayer time and doing that. And a couple weeks later, he goes back out and he's going to put this nail in and, uh, wouldn't you know it? He missed the nail again. He was swinging a little softer, I'm guessing, but he missed the nail and hit his already broken thumb. And instead of a stream of cuss words coming out, because you can imagine that's going to hurt worse, he grabs a hold of it and he goes, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And now his thumb didn't necessarily obey that command, um, but that's certainly a difference in having that input to come back out. You know, I've also heard it said that, uh, you know, whatever our, whatever we fill our emotional bucket with, when that gets upset, that's what comes out. So are we filling our emotional bucket with good things that are Christ-like, that are holy, or are we filling our emotional bucket with garbage? So... It's interesting you said that. Okay. My wife with our children. Now, of course, she had to include me in with the children. Of course. But um, whenever we were um, upset and um, our language may come out not to her liking, she would say, remember and count Jesus one. Jesus two, <laughs> Jesus three. Now, what were you going to say? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and we always knew with Jesus one, well, we're not quite ready yet. Jesus two, well, it gets a little more serious. Yep. Jesus three, well, we better take this serious and do what's right. Yeah, we better and, take and that. And say what's right. Yep. And so my wife would say, okay, she says, whatever you're going to say to anyone around here, she says, make sure she says you'd say it the way you would say it to Jesus. Yep. It kind of puts you in your place because you have to pause, think about it, and it changes your behavior. Yes, it does. It does. And that's the, but that's the fruit that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And as followers of Christ, we want to produce that fruit. Mm -hmm. So, so with that, um, 
I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go to James because you sent me a text message. I did send you a text message. And actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that text message up because you said let's talk about why Christians hear but don't listen. Mm-hmm. Faith without works is dead. Actions speak louder than words. And the Jesus question, what have you done for me lately? And I read that and immediately opened up my Bible here to James chapter 2, because that's just what that sounded like to me. It is James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Yep. But if we back up a little bit and we look at the closing of chapter 1, there's an interesting passage here that uh, the first time I heard somebody preach on this passage, I, let's just say my feathers were a little ruffled. It got to me. You, it, mean, you, you, you mean your conscience got pricked? It might have. Uh-huh. It might have, if you want to say it that way. Um, it was really a... A uh, moment of pretty harsh introspection, pretty harsh reflection on myself. And that's James chapter 1, starting in verse 22 through 25. Why don't you read it so we know what you're talking about? All right. James is writing, Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word, but not doers. They are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they look like. But those who look perfect into the law and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Do you know what they call that person who does? What do they call that person? They call that an investor. Okay. They're vested. They're vested. Okay. Which means they're putting their life into something that has meaning and value. So it can have more meaning and more value. Okay. I like that assessment. And so then, all right, now we'll move down to chapter two. And uh, as I'm scrolling up here, you know, that verse really did make me the part about if I hear but I don't do, it's like looking in a mirror and then forgetting what I look like. I don't forget what I look like. And I imagine it made me think about how forgetful do you have to be to forget what you look like? I see myself in a mirror multiple times a day. I know what I look like because I see myself in that mirror multiple times a day. So how, how forgetful am I? Or maybe, maybe that's not the problem. Maybe the problem is if I forget what I look like, I'm not seeing that enough. It just took me down. 
it started me kind of in that thought, how did, how does somebody get to be where they look in a mirror and forget what they look like? And that really made me start to think. And I'll tell you, it was an uncomfortable thought track that that brought me on because there were some things I needed to change. You know, Dustin, we can't very easily fool ourselves. No. Yes, we can. We can think we actually are better than we really are. We can think we can think in fooling ourselves by looking at ourselves in the mirror that we look pretty good, that we've accomplished some things. We have some earthly value. Right. But those are all substitutes for who God really wants us to be and for who God wants us to see who we really are in his eyes. Mm -hmm. Most people think that God wants us to see who we are in his eyes for good. But first, you have to see who you are in his eyes as the real you and why it is that you need a savior. And you don't need a savior just one time in life. But you need a savior every hour of every minute, of every second, of every day. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? You is the creature, and he is the creator. Right. And when you think that you don't need the creator, then the creature is fooling himself. Yeah, I'd... I don't see any point or reason to argue with that. You know what America says is the God of this world? What is that? More money. More money. I would, I would stop at the first word. <laughs> more. Just more seems to be the God of this world. More money, more power, more things, more stuff, more experiences, more, 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 more. And when you get more and more and more, what do you end up with? Ultimately, nothing. Less and less. Right. And what profits a man if he gains the whole world? If he gains, if he gains the whole world but loses his life, he loses nothing. his soul. Okay, your life. Okay, is finite. Right. Okay, your soul is infinite. Right. Where will you spend eternity? The question is, is where does the, the greatest investment need to be placed? Right. So we're back to investment. Well, faith is an investment. <laughs> I Jesus agree. Jesus Christ invested into us mm -hmm. okay, while we were still broke, bankrupt. Right. Okay. He saw value in something that no one else would see value in. And you know what he did? There's a song. He redeemed us. And mm -hmm. we're supposed to say how I love to proclaim it. Because I'm what? Washed by the blood of the Lamb. Okay? If you, if you don't take the cost seriously, then you won't have a faith that's serious. Yeah. So that brings us pretty handily, I think, into James chapter 2, starting 
in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So by faith itself, if it has no works, it is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe in God, and that's good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. And then he goes on to talk and give examples. Abraham being shown as righteous and having good faith when he sacrificed, well, was stopped from sacrificing Isaac. And Rahab in, you know, hiding the messengers or the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the spies that were sent. So, So faith without works is dead. Does that mean faith without works is no faith at all? I'm going to ask you that question. If you have a car sitting out in the parking lot, that car has a purpose. Yep. What's its purpose? To get me from point A to point B. What has to happen for that to happen? Car sitting in the parking lot. What do you have to do? Turn the key. And then what? Drive. You have to be responsible. Okay. You have to be responsible to what God has given you. In this case, we're putting it as a car. Okay. In this passage, the car is faith. And you have to be responsible with the faith that Jesus Christ has imparted you with. Did Jesus Christ... In his ministry, do nothing? No. No, he didn't. And if we're supposed to be disciples, what does the word disciple mean? Well, disciple has the same root as discipline, not like punishment, but that more of that self-control piece, that moving forward and continually changing and growing. What's interesting, disciple means like, to be like. Paul said, if you don't understand what discipleship is all about, he said, I'll tell you what. He says, you just follow me as I follow Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's what a disciple is. Now, when Jesus Christ told his followers to go into the world and to make disciples. Was that work, or was that faith? That was definitely work. That was definitely work. And whom, who were the people that his followers, his disciples, went out and told about Jesus? Well, everybody. Everyone. What did they do if, in fact, they knew that they could meet a need 
when they saw it. What did they do? They met it. Under what conditions did they meet it? It's very critical to understand the conditions that you meet it under because it's even applicable today about how we meet people's needs. What is the number one condition? I'm going into my Bible. Because there is a passage that I think is relevant. I would say even wonderfully relevant. All right. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to go into this a little bit. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms of those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John going into the temple, he asked them for alms, for a donation, for money. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have to you, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. I think that's what you're driving at. Why do, why do we meet the need? How do we meet the need? We meet it in the name of Jesus, and we meet it because of Jesus. If we're a disciple of Jesus. If we're if, a disciple. If we're like Jesus. Correct. Jesus only did the will of his Father. Right. So reality is, is, is that how would we know the will of his Father? How would we know the will of his Father? How would we know? Uh, through study and through prayer, through prayer and through communing with the Holy Spirit that just so happens to live inside of us. That's the seal that God places on us when we become believers. We get the Holy Spirit, so we have that free and open communion with him. So what is the first work of faith? What is the first work of faith? The first work of faith. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever thought about that or pondered that exact question. I'm going to I'm going to say my response would be depending on where you're starting would be the belief or the receiving either the belief in Christ or the receiving of the spirit. That is initially how you enter into the throne of grace by faith. Okay. Yep. And by what Jesus did. But now that you have faith, the first work of faith comes by prayer and supplication. It comes by spending time with mm -hmm. the one who has saved us, the one who has redeemed us, and asking him through the power of his Holy Spirit, what do you want of me next? Because oftentimes we can do things that looks like it's good logically 
out of our own strength and intentions. But if we don't seek the will of God, we are not doing the work of God. We are doing our own work. And mm -hmm. who gets the glory? Well, if I'm doing my will and not his, I get the glory. You get the glory. And what kind of a God do we have? A jealous God. A jealous God. And what does God say that he reserves? All of the glory for All himself. All of the glory. That's right. However, yeah. we play church. We do. And when we play church, the reason we play church in many cases is, is that we're ignorant. Mm -hmm. We're ignorant of the scriptures. We're ignorant of what type of disciple we're supposed to be. We're ignorant of how we're supposed to act as a disciple. There is a time that God says, you will be children, but you need to grow up in faith. There will be right. a time that you'll live on the milk of the word, but then you need to grow up and, and learn how to chew on the meat of the word. When you learn how to chew on the meat of the word... It's your responsibility to feed others, whether they be milk drinkers or whether they're just learning how to be meat eaters. Right. So faith, okay, without his works, not our works, right. is that and all too often we try to do good works. And it's nice we do those good works, but where is Jesus in it? Right. And I would agree with that. And, you know, we've talked about it before, and it's something that in my walk and in counseling some other people and doing some different things, I continually come back to, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Galatians 5, 23, it's the fruit of the Spirit. If you go back a few verses, the fruit that we as men are capable of producing are really no good, but it's the fruit of the spirit. So I agree with you a hundred percent. It's God working through us that really brings our faith to life and really builds that up. That's called faith in action. Right. Question is, do you want to be a spectator or do you want to be a player? Put me in, coach. Okay. Well, to be a player, mm -hmm. you have to understand some things. Okay. It's tough out there. Yes, it is. The enemy doesn't like you. That's okay. His job is to, is to defeat you at all cost. Yes, it is. What is your job? My job is to proclaim the gospel. Your job is to do the work of faith. Yes. That's your job, is to do the work of faith. Can you do that by yourself? No. You can't do that by yourself. What is really the power of the work of faith? Where is the power? The Holy Spirit. The power is the Holy Spirit. Now, oftentimes when we approach, okay, the work of faith, what intellect do we use? Human. And human intellect lacks what? Lacks a lot of things. It lacks the knowing of God's will. One of the things that I find interesting is men, you and I. Yes. We approach things that are broken. 
Right. And we think that we could fix it out of a toolbox. Right. Some replacement parts. Uh-huh. However. Some duct tape, maybe. However, God knows that the people that we're dealing with, there is no tool in our toolbox. No. There is no replacement part. So subsequently, we have to walk a mile in their shoes. We do. And you know what that's called? Humility. That's really called the tool that we're given. There is a tool. Okay. The tool that we're given is we're to call, we're to call upon the tool of compassion. Okay. We're to call on the cousin of compassion, which is sympathy. Okay. Okay. Yep. We're to call on the friend of compassion, okay, which is empathy. All right. And unless we have the right spiritual attitude with those tools, we can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. And a lot of people thought, didn't understand Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ operated utilizing those tools. So if we had to exercise our faith in belief in Jesus Christ, doesn't it make sense that we are supposed to exercise the same tools that Jesus exercised, that he taught his disciples to exercise? But does the church teach its members the tools of how you make faith work? I would say some teachers do it better than others. But there are churches that are out there teaching it. Um, it's interesting that uh, you bring this up, and we're ultimately going to be in Philippians. You want to look at uh, Philippians 2.12. Yes, I do. Okay, I'm going to back you up. Okay, how are you going to back me up? I am literally going back up the page, and I'm going to start in verse 3. You can. Okay. Because there it starts by saying, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. That's... We've got the Spirit. We can do that. We have that ability. And we go through the next five verses laying out who Jesus Christ was. Is. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, he is God. He emptied himself to be human. He humbled himself to become a slave as a human. 
and died for our sins. If that's not compassion and sympathy and empathy, I really don't know what else would be. And then we get to your favorite word, therefore. Read the, read the passage, and then we'll go back and discuss some of the words. All right, I'll start in 12. How far do you want me to go? I want you to read 12 and 13. 12 and in Philipp- 13. In Philippians 2. All right. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Is your God a genie? Nope. I'm going to go back. I'm going to read that again because I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. And I just want to see how that reads in the New Living Translation, which is a translation that's a little bit more conversational in how we speak. So he says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Sounds a lot like what we've been talking about. We've got to let God work through us. Why? Because I can't do it. I know, going back to Galatians, I know that the fruit of mankind is no good. It is a poor substitute at best. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I have to humble myself and empty myself of myself Mm -hmm. and let the Spirit take over so God can use me to his goodwill and to his good pleasure. If you go back to the translation with the therefore... With the therefore. It's very important that you understand therefore. It is incredibly important to understand therefore. That's uh, a mentor of mine always points out every therefore, and you have to ask the question, what is the therefore there for? In this particular case, I'll explain it. Very good. Would you please read the verse again? Okay. That says, therefore. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Thank you. The word therefore is causal. Yes. Okay. You could put the word in because, but that gives it reason gives it cause. And the reason that's being called out is is because of two things. First of all, it calls out our relationship. Right. 
Okay? And we are in the relationship of what? Beloved. Mm -hmm. Loved by God. Yes. And we're to also to be loving others, and others are to be loving us. Correct. So then you get the family relationship that Paul's talking about, and the way he associates that is he uses the word brothers. Yes. Okay. Let's define what is a brother. Well, a brother uh, would be a fellow Christian adopted by God to be co-heirs with Christ. So we're brothers and sisters of Jesus as believers. How close are we? Uh, some closer than others. Some closer than others. It's a very large family. Is it by choice? No. It isn't by choice? What, that we're closer with some and not with others? It's the question. I think that's... I think that happens pretty naturally, that we're closer with some and not with others. It's because of how what things we like together. Correct. Okay, what things we like together. Yep. However, the word brothers, indicative of being part of a family, actually, we are all blood brothers in Jesus Christ. Because it's his blood that makes us brothers. Okay. So usually, hopefully, that if you have a brother, do you help a brother? Of course. Do you defend a brother? Yes. Do you protect a brother? Yes. Well, guess what? If our faith is working, then we are brothers and that is part of the work we're supposed to do. Oh, I fully agree. The next part of the verse talks about we're supposed to work out our faith, our salvation, okay? What is the word salvation? What is the word salvation? It's just a word. It's in the Bible. Does anybody know what the word salvation is? It's really an instruction. If you don't come up with it, I'll give you the real easy, quick definition of what salvation means. I'm going to use my program here. I'm going to cheat. All right. Salvation to save, deliver, Deliverance, saving, persevering. Um, there's actually an interesting one in here that is um, wholeness to the Greek sortiria, soteria. One of the translations is wholeness. I get a real simple, real simple definition. Okay, I'm overcomplicating. Go yeah, ahead. you are. You're overcomplicating it. All right. Because Paul is writing to the Philippians. They're fairly new Christians. Mm -hmm. They don't have a real deep vocabulary, okay, into Christianese. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. However, if you want to take about work out your faith, okay, or your, work out your faith or your salvation, what it really means is, is 
Work out your faith by going to Jesus. Just keep going to what has given you your salvation. Keep going to Jesus. And then what does the verse say? With fear and trembling. Okay, let's define fear and let's define trembling. Okay, when you think of the word fear, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The first thing that comes to mind is like just being afraid and being unsure in this. But in this context, I think it really is more of intended more to be a reverence, not with being afraid of God, but being reverent and putting the proper value on who God is and on who Jesus is and the proper value, again, on who I am and how I relate to God. That's how I would look at the fear in this particular verse. You know, there was a very popular song a few years back, and it was spelled R-E-S-P-C-T. Yep. Okay? And that's what God wants, is he wants our respect. Correct. Now, um, I was going to say that there is a definition of fear in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. All right. Here we go. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. I've got, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Fear is another word for love. How you fear God is really how you love God. In the proper context. In the proper yes. context. But the I, think thing this, is, I think this is one of those contexts, yes. The thing is, is that you will never, you'll never have faith in God if you don't love God. You'll never have a godly fear for God unless you love God. Right. And what does the Word of God say about us. He loved us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. While we were his enemy. That's right. So, do you love God because he loved you as bad as you once were? Yes. Do you have respect for that? I have incredible respect for that. Do you have thanksgiving for that? Frequently. What are you going to do because of that? Whatever he tells me to. <laughs> Does that mean that you will practice your faith by what work he gives you to do? I believe so, yeah. How often do you listen to him to find out what work he wants you to do that day? I think you hinted. 
It should be at minimum daily. <laughs> it should be at minimum How about frequently? Frequently. Okay, because what does Paul say? How were we supposed to pray each day? Unceasingly. Unceasingly. Why do you think that is? Because, well, really, who better to talk to? My wife would say this. Okay. My wife would say the reason we need to be praying all the time, every day, because we are what Jesus Christ sees that we are. And that's stupid, stupid sheep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I use yep. that and I use that as an excuse for my failures. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, and let's uh I'm gonna pause on that for a second because sometimes sheep really do deserve the double stupid. If you spent any time on YouTube or your video place of choice watching funny animal videos, you will undoubtedly run across a shepherd getting a sheep out of a little valley or a little gully or uh, an aqueduct or a waterway or something, a crack wide enough for the sheep to fall into, deep enough they can't get out. And in every single one of those instances, and every time I've seen it, the farmer works hard, the shepherd works hard to get the sheep up out of the ravine and the sheep usually gets about four or five little bounds before it's right back in it we are stupid stupid sheep sometimes because <laughs> i've done that i've probably done that today and don't even realize it how about the next word trembling uh-huh give me a definition of trembling uh, trembling is shaking, quaking, not able to sit still. That is in the physical. Yes, it is. What is it in the spiritual? I guess I've never thought about it in the spiritual. You challenge me. I like that. Trembling in the spiritual is actually your awe of God. Okay. Okay. It is really a description of you being filled by the Holy Spirit that opens your eyes so you are in awe of God, of who he is, what he's done, hmm. what he's doing, what he can do. There's no limits to him. And that is worth the awe of God. And the reality is, is, is that what man can stand before God and not be filled with the glory of his presence? Trembling. Right. Trembling. Okay. Even the apostle John, when he was ushered into a vision in Revelation, what was his reaction? He fell on his face. He fell on his face. He he bowed in worship. And that instinctively, is, immediately. And that is awe of God. But there is something more about the word trembling in this verse. What that word trembling in this verse means is look 
beyond your experience. Look beyond your feeling and find God's purpose for your life. Find God's purpose for your life. So, you love God, and out of your love for God, you want to know what God's purpose is hmm. for your life. If you want a reference point to what I'm talking about, go to Psalm 2, verse 11. All right, I'm on my way. Psalm 211, serve the Lord with fear, with trembling. Kiss his feet, or he will be angry and you will perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all who take refuge in him. Serve with fear mm -hmm. equals reverence. Yep. Rejoice equals trembling or a move of the Spirit. Yep. How often do we try to do it ourselves with, without any reverence or a token of reverence and without any trembling? Because trembling requires something. It requires that we're rejoicing. Yes. And I'm seeing that I'm back looking in other translations here and uh, the NIV and the NLT are almost identical. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Yep. So when you go to church on Sunday or any day, any day that you're serving the Lord, if you're exercising your mm -hmm. faith without that part of the work, what do you have? Dead faith. You don't have as you don't have a faith as alive as it could be. Right. Okay. Right. Um, just a few notes here. Okay. 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 Our instruction from Jesus is to finish the work. Yes, it is. He has started the work. But mm -hmm. if, in fact, when he said it is finished, he wasn't saying that the work was finished. No, he wasn't. He, sa he saved us for us to be able to finish his work. Yes. And his work is what? That all men might be saved. Yes. That none would perish. Okay, but come to salvation through the faith. Right. How's a person going to know that if somebody isn't showing them that faith that works? They can't. They can't. Do you know why most people, what most people get out of most churches on a Sunday morning? What's that? Rhetoric. A lot of nice flowing words, but there's no engine in this car. There's nothing to make it move. Right. Because what is our engine? What is the engine of a true Christian? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the true engine. Okay? Now, 
Does the Holy Spirit work apart from working through us? Yes. He does. But what does he want from us? Obedience. To work with him. Yep. To work with him. The fact is, is, is that we are actually blessed by finding our purpose in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. I would agree wholeheartedly. Not because of my idea, not because of what I've done, not because of intellect, okay? Not because of a grand mission. Because we are what we are in the same position that Jesus Christ is. We are a servant. Yes. Yep. Let me just put it this way. Everything I try to do of my own will under my own power, I fail. And everything I try to do for God's will in the Spirit's power, I grow may not exactly succeed the way I expect it to, but I grow. Well, in any kind of a sport that you play, right? I don't know anybody who plays a sport that doesn't get a few bumps and bruises. But through bumps and bruises, you actually become a better player of the sport. Right. And the thing is, is, is that because of your bumps and bruises, you can minister to those who get bumps and bruises as well. And life is all about bumps and bruises. So if you're going to play the game of life, then you need to understand the rules of the game of life. And they come with bumps, bumps and bruises. And bruises. Right. I have down here that, in my honest opinion, okay. for us to have, to work out our faith with fear and trembling, to not have a faith that is dead, you can't do it unless you go deep with Jesus. Even right. Jesus' disciples didn't understand many of the things he was teaching. Because they were just learning. Right. But he even said you have to go deep yes. to understand. And what did he say to his disciples was the prescription for going deep? He says the reason you have weakness, the reason that you cannot do many things with your faith, because you lack both prayer and fasting, because mm -hmm. you lack both prayer and fasting. It's noble that you tried to imitate me, but you really didn't imitate me because you didn't learn that I have to pray and I have to fast before I can act. Yes. We try to imitate the acts. We try to imitate the miracles. We'd love to imitate the miracles. None of that will ever happen if you're not imitating the prayer and the fasting. You and there has to be a gifting for it as well. I mean, there's more to it than that, but the gifting isn't given without the prayer and without the fasting. You know, a lot of people think that because they have the Holy Spirit, that's enough. But it isn't enough because 
The word says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But the problem is, is, is that people don't understand the apart from me. The apart from me, what he's talking about is apart from my spirit. Right. Apart from my will. You might have a great idea, but without me in it, it amounts to nothing. 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 Back to Ecclesiastes. It's a vapor. It's smoke. The Hebrew word is hevel. Do you know what the prescription is to have your faith work? Do you know there's a prescription? What's the prescription? I'll read it to you. Okay. I'm not smart enough to remember it. <laughs> That's why we take notes. That's right. Here's the prescription. Okay. First of all, you have to give yourself up. You have to make yourself nothing. You take no credit. Right. You don't count. I don't. You don't right. count. Once you're done with that, then you have to pray for God's purpose. Mm -hmm. You have to ask for God's power. Yep. You have to find the work that God has called you to. You have to do the work that he's called you to, giving him glory through your obedience. Yep. Can you do that? We can all do it. Is it question, work? Is ultimate, it work? <laughs> ultimately, I don't think the question is, can you? I think ultimately the question is, will you? It is will you, but is it work? It's work. And what do most people want out of their faith? Something for nothing. Easy gifts. Yep. Easy gifts. And they don't realize, we don't realize that we are working out our faith. We are working out our salvation, even though we're saved. On a moment-to-moment -moment daily basis by being in the Lord's army. Right. By following the orders yep. that he wants us to do. We do not elevate ourselves to any rank. Yep. And in uh, so in systematic theological terms, that is the sanctification of the believer. Because we've got salvation which is our saving. And then we've got our sanctification, which is our growth. That's where the hard work comes in. That's where the fruit happens. In that growth. In that work. And will you do it? I'm talking to you listening to this out there somewhere. Have you been doing it? And will you do it going forward? Do you know what stops us from doing it? What's that? We're afraid of ourselves. We have fear in ourselves. But the fact is, is, is that Jesus knows that we're weak. He does. But he's strong. He is. He knows that we really have nothing to bring to the table. Because it's he who brings everything to the table because he has brought his very life to the cross and he gives us an instruction 
Very simple instruction, hard for us to believe, hard for us to accept. But he says, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. Yes. Now, do you care enough for the others around you? Do you? Steve, I think we'll cut it off there. I think that's a great spot to end it. Yes, do you. Do you. Jesus cares enough for you. Do you care enough for others? For others. Right. Jesus, others, you. Right. Joy. Find <laughs> the joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do we have a preview for next week, or are we flying by the seat of our pants I'm again? I'm still trying to get back to Job. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think Job thinks that we've forgotten about him. He's just going to add that to his list of complaints. All right. Well, Steve, thank you very much for coming in. It's been fun as always. Well, thank you, Dustin. <laughs>